welcome to episode three of Way Too Weird. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Way Too Weird. The podcast where we talk about our weird ass universe. Hell yeah. I'm Annie. And I'm Sarah. First hey. off, hey, what's up, Sarah? <laughs> I just wanted to say, first off, if y'all are back with us after episodes one and two, thank you very much. Yes. We're glad to have you along for the ride. We are completely new to podcasting, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as a sound editor, I just want to let you all know that we are constantly working on improving our sound quality. Yeah. So he's doing the most. I'm doing the most, but we're working on it. Got some new gear. Excited to see how it uh, how it all sounds. But honestly, I'm just really excited to look back in a year from now, yeah. whatever. Look back and see how far we've come yes. sound wise and exactly content and, all of it and you know i'm really excited to keep learning all this weird ass shit we've been talking about seriously and we have a long list of subjects that we're going to be talking about for sure but we've also received a lot of um suggestions from listeners yeah, so so keep it up yeah and if any of you guys have any other topics that you'd like to hear us discuss shoot us an email we're at way too weird pod at gmail.com. That's with the number two. Yeah, that's right. So, Sarah, what's weird with you? Me? You. Oh my God. So much. What a weird week. But uh oh, what do I what do I want to share? Yes. <laughs> oh, right, cool. Yeah. Keep it well, I'd say keep it PG, but it's not. honestly don't. Let's get into it. Ugh. I'm actually just gonna talk about something I saw on Instagram. Cause um my my algorithms are so fucked. It's like half sexy men from fantasy romance novels and half like the wackiest shit out there with a sprinkle of cute animals. Okay, so, mine's very similar, yeah. minus the the dudes. Yeah, it's like instead of dudes for you, it's like frog content. Oh, exactly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you re- you replace the sexy dudes with a twerking frog, and that is my algorithm. Love it. Um, I wouldn't have guessed anything else. So this week's weird comes from the wacky half of my Instagram. According to idea.soup, the kings of ancient Ireland. Ready for this? Mm-hmm used to get their nipples sucked by their subjects as a pledge of loyalty. Pause for reaction. I have none. You have none. <laughs> She's speechless. I mean, honestly, that's uh, mm, not surprising to me. <laughs> okay. It, say more. Wait, say more. It what? immediately makes me think of Robin Hood when... Uh, that scene in Robin Hood with all the nipples sucking. <laughs> No, where the bear's like sucking the, oh, the uh, Robin Hood fox. Robin, yeah, obviously the animated Robin Hood, the we, only Robin Hood, the only Robin Hood that matters. <laughs> um, he's like sucking the little gems off of the uh, the finger while he's like kissing the hand or whatever. Thievery through jewel sucking equals nipple sucking. It's all a metaphor for nipple sucking. <laughs> All right, anyway, there's more, okay? Okay. So archaeologists actually figured this out, um, and they also discovered that upon the death of these kings, their nipples were cut off so that no one could uh, pledge any more loyalty. Why? I imagine, like, you know, creepy reasons. Like, Like, is it the new kings who are like, 
don't you dare i guess we can't know the real reason but the archaeologists but are like did that yeah the archaeologists are like well these nipples are definitely gone so it must have been yeah. the only reasonable assumption. Is so I, I, exactly. I looked into this a smidge more. Okay. Just a little. That's barely anything do. more. Yeah. On of all places, Reddit. I asked nothing else. Yep. And user Gambero says, apparently in St. Patrick's Confessio, when he fled Ireland, he was offered a ride with some sailors, but bowed out because he didn't want to suck their nipples. So, and it was for, for the fear of God, apparently. That's a sailor thing, though. That has nothing to Maybe, do with allegiance. There's right? a lot of sucking happening I was with like, sailors. Fair enough. But I was like, St. Patrick, just say you don't want to. Don't bring God into yeah, it. Just say no. But I imagine the sailors were like, I can't do an Irish accent, but they were like, hey, I'll give try, you a Try, try, try. Oh, okay. Hey, I'll give you a ride of yes, of course. All I ask for payment is that you suck the nipples of me and me crew. <laughs> I mean, it probably was really expensive to take that voyage. Yeah. Would you suck a nipple to be able to take like a all I mean, expenses paid we, cruise? I mean, I don't think it was that scenario. I don't think they were like, they were like, oh man. It wasn't like a free buffet. No, I don't. I mean, I wasn't there. And he didn't, he didn't include it in his confessio, but we don't know what of he's not he telling didn't. us. Of course he did Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, you didn't answer my question. I didn't answer your Would question. You? <laughs> I'm going to think about it really hard, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Who's the nipple? exactly who's it attached to yeah but i love that story Mm -hmm. yeah all right that's Um, a weird one so annie what's weird with you all right so uh, something came up something's been coming up and it's it hasn't just been since last episode it started before our first episode even but it's continued to now to the point where i'm getting freaked out about it yeah so when we first started talking about doing this podcast and we were brainstorming some ideas of subjects we wanted to talk about, I have in my notebook a little drawing of praying mantis. Cute. We didn't I, we didn't even like talk about it. We didn't mention it. Like I just in my head knew that there were a couple stories that had stood out to me in the past about, you know, a correlation between seeing praying mantis and also alien abduction and DMT trips, which we go over all that in episode one. So on the top of my head was just like, oh, that was one of the main things that got me intrigued and interested in looking into all of this weirdness more. So I had drawn the little praying mantis. And then after our first meeting, I was like, I'm going to go ahead and watch the TV show Encounters and just like get into that spooky mindset. And in episode one, the, um, one of the people who witnessed a UFO saw praying mantises inside of it. So right there, I was like, whoa, like, we yeah. should probably talk about this for episode one. Because yeah. crazy, this came and up again. we did. And, and we it's, did. It's awesome. There we go. That's my story. End of story. Not really. I've got more. More. <laughs> and there's more. Um, so while in episode one, you were talking about that there's like, once you start talking about the praying mantises, they start showing up yes. and blah, blah, blah. And we talked about how creepy that would be. Um, so in the last three days 
praying mantises have shown up in my life in other ways. One was we were, uh, we had a Friendsgiving yeah. event and we played the game Telestrations, which Love is it. hands down my favorite game. Yes. It's like the only, I don't know what you call it. It's like, board it's like game Pictionary of sorts. plus like but drawing. Telephone. Yes. Pictionary. Well, it's like telephone with drawing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the first drawing so in case people don't know basically um everyone has a card with different terms on it and you roll a dice and whatever number it lands on everyone goes to their individual card and goes down to let's say like number four and whatever that word is they will draw a picture of that word and then the next person has to look at the picture and decide what is it they, they drew, but they only have 30 seconds to draw it. And if anyone's like me, like I just get super obsessed with minute details, things that have no actual bearing on the subject matter. They're just like background right. uh, context, but I never get to the actual thing. Yeah. So nobody actually knows what I was drawing. Anyhow, uh, so the first drawing that came to me for me to interpret what it is was a beautifully drawn without mistake praying mantis uh it was art actually yeah so uh so art drew this beautiful praying mantis and he knows very much about uh the topics that we've been talking about so he was just fucking with yes well no he wasn't i looked at his card it did say praying mantis so we made eye contact and i was like are you serious he was like right so so weird the next day we go to an antique mall because it was a rainy, cold day, and that's absolutely my favorite thing to do Perfection. is go get some hot coffee. Mm. Well, a hot, a double, uh, dirty chai latte, <laughs> and uh, as it's got to be specific, obviously, yes. Um, and walk around the antique mall. It's the best thing. So we walk in there. The first little glass case that we come across has all of these framed bugs, like you know. Uh, butterflies, couple tarantulas, but right dead center were these framed praying mantises. Were they like real dead bugs? Yeah, I sent you a picture. Oh my god. Yeah, they were dead praying mantises with their little wings all flared and they were a lot more detailed than like they had like spots on them and patterns and things like yeah. that they're but unique individuals i did not want to look at them that closely though because they look like they were like taunting me yeah so you're right the picture does look like they're taunting you they are <laughs> they have their little hands on they're like <laughs> you all can't see me <laughs> doing Catch this like surf hands. yeah little yeah. surf mode um anyways so that's weird and like also my feed you know my social media feeds have been completely full of them but i do dismiss that because i know that since we started talking about this stuff out loud the internet's been listening so anything digital i've been ignoring but these were like two things that were as analog as it gets like someone reading a card that was randomly drawn out of a deck of something that was made 10 years ago and then passed to me after being drawn actually on paper and then seeing something in a glass case of an actual bug you know what's gonna happen now no you're gonna see one in the wild it's winter time if i see one in the wild right now okay i don't know anything about their habits but i can't i think they hibernate or they just die they might have a really short life cycle now that i'm thinking about it or they go to their 
mothership. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into today's topic and... What are we talking about? To piggyback on my weirdness. Yeah. Today's topic is synchronicities. So that's another level or another layer to my weird shit is yeah. that all of that was happening and You're today's episode, we're, we're going to be talking about synchronicities. Look, I love that. Um, but just for our listeners, why don't you give us a quick definition yeah, yeah. So I know it's actually a term that we've mentioned a few times already in the podcast. Um, and it's probably guaranteed to keep coming up as we talk about the weirdness of the universe. I think it's so, guaranteed. yeah, it's a good idea to define it. Um, so a synchronicity is defined as a simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection. So basically, it's when something that would otherwise seem to just be a coincidence feels particularly meaningful. Yes. Or rather it's too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence, which is actually a term often used by Jim Harold, who is the OG paranormal podcast host and a personal hero of mine. And if you guys have not listened to his show, Jim Harold's campfire, um, please go do that. Cause that's literally one of the things that made me get obsessed with all weirdness you definitely should it's it's a great podcast it's the best but back to synchronicities yes i feel like we have all had some version of this in our life definitely it could be like a single coincidence that feels particularly meaningful or something that just happens so many times over and over something that keeps coming up that it feels like it's chasing you Mm -hmm. Uh, but whatever it is it makes you stop and wonder like what is really happening yep So I'm going to go ahead and start us off by giving an example of one of the most famous synchronicity stories, which is like, whoa, whoa, that's weird. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep. And if any of you all do not know about this, I think you might uh, be interested to hear that it has everything to do with the actor Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony? Sir Anthony Hopkins. And there were a lot of different articles that go over this coincidence, but I'm going to be going with one or mostly referencing one that went way further into the coincidence, way past the story where a lot of other people stop. So um, so it's a bit more of a deep dive. And this is from faroutmagazine.co.uk. Title is How Anthony Hopkins Became the Center of the Quantum Theory of Coincidence, yes. written by Tom Taylor. He's the center of my something, I'll tell you what. Your quantum theory of coincidence? Yes, that's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> well, moving on. In 1972, Anthony Hopkins' career was losing momentum, so he decided that he was going to set his sights on some more expansive roles. Soon the offer to audition for a comedy came his way. Mm. Um, The film was called The Girl from Petrovka, and it was based on a novel of the same name written by George Pfeiffer. If Hopkins was going to use this as a career launch pad, he needed to do his research. Mm -hmm. So Hopkins set out to pick up a copy of Girl from Petrovka from his local bookstore on London's Charing Cross Road. I'm assuming it's charring, char- yeah, charing? sure, C H A R I N G. 
could be crossroad. Yeah. Chairing is caring, right? <laughs> what were you saying? So he was informed by the shopkeeper that although the novel was released in the United States the year prior, 1971, that the book was not yet available in the UK. Freaking gatekeeping. Right. So um, Hopkins headed to the train station and was mulling over how to best order a copy from the US in time to study for his audition. Mm -hmm. So he was sitting down on a bench at the train station or the tube, however you want to say. It was I, underground Definitely train. the tube. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with the tube. <laughs> and next to him, he notices an abandoned book. He picked it up and found that he was flipping through the manuscript of The Girl from Petrovka. What? Not only that, but it was an edition that was complete with editorial annotations the for the UK market. So, so handwritten. Yes, exactly. So he read the manuscript, ventured off to his audition, and landed the role. A year after finding the manuscript, Hopkins traveled to Vienna to begin filming the feature. There he met the author, George Pfeiffer. Hopkins jokingly complained to George about the issues he had finding a copy of his book. Pfeiffer apologized and said that it was his fault for the lengthy, lengthy delay between the U.S. and the U.K. publications. He explained that when he had been in London editing the manuscript, he lent it to a friend who then put it in the backseat of his car. That friend's car was then stolen, the manuscript along with it. So as Pfeiffer was explaining this, without a word, Hopkins spun around, raced to his dressing room, and returned with the manuscript saying, might this copy have some personal meaning to you? Oh my god, I love the drama. As it happens, the car thieves must have stolen Pfeiffer's friend's vehicle, driven like three miles or so through London, and then at some point down the line, ditched it at the train station. Just a few moments later, Hopkins sits down on the bench where they left it. And uh, this was right after he had been formed, informed that the book wasn't available in the UK. So anyhow, Hopkins' performance in The Girl from Petrovka was highly regarded and essentially launched his career into a, an entirely different level from where it was. Huh. That's, that's weird. That's yeah. Really weird. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of stories or a lot of articles this is about where it ends right which is why i like this particular article so cut to the sunday times which is a british sunday newspaper mm -hmm. they asked for submissions from readers about extraordinary coincidences in their life george pfeiffer the author submitted a piece about anthony hopkins and the manuscript coincidence an academic author named Arthur Kostler, or Kostler came across this piece in the Sunday Times, and it set his mind racing. He began working on the Hopkins-inspired book called The Roots of Coincidence. In this novel, Kostler discusses the concept of synchronicity, which is a term coined by Carl Jung, and it describes coincidences that appear meaningful or meaningfully related yet lack a casual connection as we mentioned before 
Kostler's book gained a lot of attention and he became a rising star. A literary magazine called the Saturday Review decided to publish a profile on him. The journalist that they enlisted to write that profile completely by chance without knowing the connection at all was none other no. than George Pfeiffer. That's weird. So, in one final turn, in 1986, a British casting agent was looking to hire a star for a film that follows an author on a promotional tour of her book, 84 Charing Cross Road. That's, That's the, the name of the book, 84 okay. Charing Cross Road. This is the address where that very bookstore was that Hopkins tried to buy the manuscript or the book originally and was turned away because it wasn't being sold in the UK market. The British casting agent reached out to Anthony Hopkins, who was offered the role of the bookstore owner. And it's just so many connections, but like... I don't know what it means. Who knows what it means? It means something to him. I think it's hard to look at it, though, and say that, like, that is all a coincidence, right? right? And so that's exactly it, well, what they're saying. It's Yeah, like, it's meaningful. And that's, the, that's what makes it a synchronicity. It meant something to Anthony Hawkins. I guarantee it means something to the author right. who got his manuscript back. And the, it meant something to the guy who was inspired by mm-hmm. the entry that... Mm-hmm the author made into that magazine about extraordinary coincidences. Right. And when I hear like meaningful, it makes me think like, okay, well then what's the meaning? But I guess you don't actually need to know what the meaning is for it to be meaningful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, that is, like I said, one of the most famous and intriguing examples of a synchronicity um, That's but super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, as far as the actual topic, how it started, uh, you know, the science behind it, all of that stuff, that is something that I know you looked into a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the name in the game is Carl Jung. So right off the top, we should probably address that Carl Jung is pretty problematic. I mean, he's a father of synchronicity, but he's also like mm, pretty racist and anti-Semitic, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we're we're acknowledging that and also acknowledging his ideas that were less bad. <laughs> yeah. So according to Wikipedia, sorry. <laughs> what are you sorry about? Uh, using Wikipedia. I also, okay. it's fine. Also, the International Association for Analytical Psychology. Also, Carl Jung Depth Psychology Site dot blog. <laughs> LOL. Totally trustworthy, very serious. Um, Swiss psychologist Carl Jung defines the synchronicity as a meaningful coincidence. The meaning, of course, is subjective as are all of these synchronicities. They're very personal, and that's what makes them special. Jung says that they are important to the human experience, but cautions that they can become harmful within psychosis. Apparently, if you start noticing a lot of them, that can be a sign of oncoming schizophrenia. And 
I don't know what to do with that. Cause like you can't stop synchronicities. You just observe them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's something to definitely pay attention to <laughs> and know that there might be multiple things happening. So Jung shares his own instance of synchronicity that occurred on April 1st, 1949. And no, I don't know if he was just doing an April Fool's bit, but he's in the midst of researching the cultural and historical significance of the fish symbol. Okay. Then he goes to lunch and was served fish. Then at lunch, someone's talking and instead of saying April Fool, they accidentally say April fish. <laughs> what? They went to say April Fools. Not like April Fools. Apparently in the 40s, calling someone an April Fool was like a term. Oh. Yeah, I don't want to seem like an April Fool, huh? I don't want to seem like an April fish. That's a weird mistake to make. Yeah. So they said April fish. And then he goes to work and one of his patients showed him some photos of fish. Then uh, someone shows him a beautiful piece of embroidery filled with fish. And then the following morning, a patient tells him a dream about a fish. Sounds fishy to me. Oh, my God. So all of that was in one day and morning? Yeah, it was like a 24-hour, 48-hour cycle. I would feel like I was losing my mind. Yeah. Wow. No wonder he had to make his entire career. I know. Like, right? literally 24 hours just changed his, his life. Right. Because of fish. Right. Wild. So Jung then works closely with this Nobel laureate physicist, Wolfgang Pauli, which is such a fun name to say with the Austrian accent. Wolfgang Pauli. 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 Together they create the psychoid archetype, which sounds kind of sus, but it's actually pretty cool. It's imagined as the deepest layer of archetypal reality where the psyche and matter meet and become indistinguishable. This kind of archetype eventually brings out complexity science, which gets into how synchronicities are intrinsic to the creation and structure of our universe. So he says, under certain conditions, space and time can be reduced to almost zero. Causality, which is cause and effect, causality disappears along with them because causality is bound up with the existence of space and time and physical changes. And it consists essentially in the succession of cause and effect. For this reason, synchronistic phenomenon cannot be, in principle, associated with any conceptions of causality. So causality is, uh, is caught up in space-time. Cause and effect is a product of space-time. Right. You can't have a cause which is followed by an effect if time doesn't exist. Right. Right. So he's saying that synchronicity exists outside of that whole thing. Cool. That's why synchronicities don't have causality. So he's saying that the pattern-making tendency of our reality came into being before space and time and thus exists without space and time. And that is why it doesn't matter that synchronicities are a-causal. They exist outside of space and time. So Jung was able to use instances of synchronicities to help his patients. In one famous case, while in session, the patient is detailing a dream about a gold scarab beetle necklace. And at the same moment, Jung's attention is pulled to the window 
where a rose chafer beetle is trying to get in. A rose chafer beetle looks like a June beetle, both of which are relatives to the big boy scarab beetle. Hmm. So June captures the insect and gives it to his patient. And in that moment, the patient has a breakthrough, a feeling that something sacred and profoundly meaningful has happened, what he terms numinosity. Hmm. And that challenges our ideas of logical understanding. Okay. Looking at all this stuff with June, it seems like one of the hallmarks of synchronicities is that once you start learning about them, you start noticing them. Mm-hmm. Like when you stare at the void, the void stares back. Well, it's not unlike when I bought my Subaru that was a weird kind of sage color with tan. Uh, it was a very specific looking outback. And yet the moment that I got it, I saw a thousand of them everywhere I went. I saw them everywhere. So, I mean, that really is something to to always keep in balance with this conversation and that a lot of skeptics will say that, you know, that, that once, might... once you see it, you're going to see it more because your eyes are attuned to right. it. So that sounds like confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, exactly. Yeah. And um, th- I think you just basically described confirmation bias. Right. Which well. is, again, something that I think in this conversation is worth putting out there as something that could always be in the background of this. Right. And it's, it's, I think that's where you have to have the meaning, you know, Mm -hmm. has to be meaningful to Mm -hmm. you. Right. And yeah, it has to hit you in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I saw all of those Subarus, it was pretty easy for me to realize it was confirmation bias. I didn't think that that meant that I was, I don't know, gonna in your one true car. <laughs> right. Yeah. I found my car. I can tell you now that that thing is in a junkyard right now. Yeah. That transmission is All out. RIP. Um, Jung suggests that synchronicities point out those unfathomable ways in which we're all connected. He calls this unified reality Unus Mundus, which is Latin for one world, and basically means that the microcosm and the microcosm are mirrors of each other means to say like you know subatomic particle looks like a yin yang or how if you look into um, someone's eye it looks like a picture of the universe you know so uh, that that we humans all share ancestral memory and collective unconscious to understand a person's psychology is to understand the collective unconscious and vice versa Jung gets a lot of his ideas on synchronicity from Eastern philosophies, specifically the I Ching. Says Jung, synchronism is the prejudice of the East. Causality is the modern prejudice of the West. So I have a background in research science, and one of the number one things you hear in these fields of discovery is correlation does not equal causation. It's a hallmark of science, you know. So to me, his reference to these prejudices of Eastern philosophies is in direct defiance of this statement. And we love defiance. Yes, yes. we do. <laughs> I love anything that makes me think differently. So the I Ching, I had no idea what it was before I looked into it. Wikipedia describes it as a Chinese divination text from the late 9th century. The YouTube channel Mists of I Ching taught me the basics in five minutes. It's a set of 64 different hexagrams. They look like symbols made up of lines, and each line means something different. 
It was used as a guide to a moral life, a predictive tool for the future, and somewhat of an explanation for everything in the universe. And it's where the symbol and idea for the yin-yang come from. Okay. There's three basic principles to the I Ching. First is that everything is constantly changing. Second is because change takes place in an orderly manner once we discovered it, everything becomes easy to understand. Okay. Three, once we realize nothing is unchangeable, we shall find peace and harmony. It's kind of like when people say, oh, it's out of my hands, you know? So, but you say unchanged. Oh, okay, okay. So everything is happening in an orderly manner. And since we know that we can't do anything about it, then you can just relax into it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So this philosophy sounds pretty helpful, you know? But how did Jung relate any of this into his research? Well, uh, he actually wrote the foreword to the English translation. In it, Jung explains that for a Western reader to understand the following text, they first have to forget what Western science has taught, namely the idea of causation and natural law. He explains that when we leave things to nature, things are more likely to be affected by chance than by absolutes. So that kind of throws natural law out the window. The I Ching, he goes on, is mainly concerned with chance and coincidence. And the whole idea of cause and effect is pretty much left out. It's really cool. And I'd read it, but it sounds, I don't know, it sounds like it's going to be pretty dry. <laughs> but I want to see the I Ching, though. I want to see this. So it's like, if you if you see it, um, you, you've probably seen it before, right? So there's a few different ways. There's like the manuscript that has like an updated version. It's like 64 hexagrams. But the original one, I want to say was like eight. And okay. it's on a gold hexagon. And um, you might see it like up in people's houses or like at like a temple on... Oh, okay. I'm looking it. at it now. I'm yeah. looking at it now. You've seen it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it has the yin-yang in the middle, mm -hmm. and then it has... Well, am I looking at the right thing? So then yeah. it has a list of... Okay, we have, it says sun, water, mountain, earth, thunder, fire, lake, which I guess would be... Oh, lake and water? Look, they all mean something different. Okay. And something really specific. Cool. So when people use them as a divination tool... They use like pieces of the yarrow root to kind of like, you know, throw them and then they mm -hmm. interpret what they see. Mm -hmm. um, That's in a lot of practices. I think African religion practices, especially mm -hmm. where you like are reading bones, reading stones, reading, you know, things that you kind of toss out. And are yeah. Able to... And it's it's relative to chance and how it means something to you. Mm -hmm. So it reminds cool. me of tarot also. Tarot is brought up. The okay. I Ching, it can be interpreted the same way that tarot can be. So if you're experiencing like personal dilemma and you go to the I Ching, it kind of reflects back. It's like you're having a conversation with yourself. I actually feel like I've heard Carl Jung brought up with tarot before. Something about him being, you know, having created like the certain archetypes. I bet that that's... It's probably related to tarot. I mean, this. definitely. Um... So, you know, tarot comes from, like, way before 
Jung's time, but I think he probably, maybe this is a hypothesis. Maybe he was kind of using tarot as like a lead in for Western brains. Like, right. You know, we're more familiar with that. Well, it is a, a set of rules or yeah. a set of specific cards. And then it's divination rules. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So, so like, this is the pattern. This is what they mean. So because of that, there is an order to it. Mm -hmm. So just understanding that order can give you the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. And knowing that it's literal chance, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's Hmm. pretty similar. Yeah. Similar, but different, same, but different. Okay. So now for something completely different, I want to talk about dick. (laughs) What? Wow, this is not that kind of podcast. Specifically, Philip K. So Philip K. Dick is this 20th century sci-fi author whose work inspired the film Blade Runner. Have you seen Blade Runner? I have, yeah. What? So that's that's him. Okay. Yeah, so he's kind of a big name in the big deal. So in 1974, he writes this novel called Flow my tears, the policeman said. Um, apparently, he wrote it in a flurry, like the words just poured out of him. Mm-hmm. The story is about a 19-year-old woman named Kathy, who's married to a man named Jack. She has a side romance with the police inspector. A few months after he finishes the book, he meets a real-life woman named Kathy. She is also 19. She also has a boyfriend named Jack. Interesting. So Philip and Kathy are about to walk into a restaurant when Kathy suddenly says, I can't go in there because inside sits a man she's been having an affair with, the police inspector. What? Weird. Weird, 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 weird. Yep. So four years go by. It's late at night and Philip sees a man standing outside by the parked cars on the road. And normally he would be like, Mm, avoid but philip feels a pull to talk to the man which he you know normally wouldn't do given the time at night and he finds that the man is out of gas and out of money again something he wouldn't normally do philip gives the man all the money in his wallet and drives him to an all-night gas station while he's filling up a metal canister it hits him that he wrote this whole scene in his book the setting the scenarios the the guy the, even the, the bright white lights of the gas station sign. So after this, he's kind of freaked out and he remembers what happened a few years ago. So he goes to a priest because he doesn't know what's going on. He tells the priest what he's experienced both within his novel and actual reality. And the priest tells him that everything he's described happened in the Bible. What? Yeah, specifically in the book of Acts. Basically, a man named Philip meets a stranger in the road and helps him on his way and has an affair or <laughs> with a woman just named the Kathy. second part is mentioned i didn't read the book of Acts, so i didn't check if kathy's in there um but all of this led philip k dick to conclude that time as we experience it is an illusion that our brains tell us that time is linear that a leads to b leads to c but every now and then we're able to puncture through that veil and see things differently. See the world beneath our world. That the only thing that truly exists is this moment. I'm just imagining 
layers of parallel dimensions on top of each other where somebody in biblical times is overlapped by somebody in what year was this that he wrote it? Yeah. And then is also overlapped by some other form of this that he's tapping into, like some other layer, which is he's psychically picking up on the parallel universe that he writes a story about. Mm. And so he's describing his own, uh, I guess you would say almost like doppelganger effect like the thing that's happening already in a different dimension, he's picking up on that, which is why it just flows out of him because he's basically seeing, I guess, quote unquote, the future, but really he's seeing the now just in a different parallel, Maybe. which also happens to be a parallel that's happening probably thousands of times over. And I feel like this is like, I'm getting outside of the world of synchronicities, but I'm just trying to imagine like some of the like how this reasons or some of the ways that that could have potentially yeah. been happening. If yeah. you're thinking outside the box. Yeah. I mean, Philip K. Dick would probably love to discuss this with you. Oh, that'd be great. I don't know if he's living, <laughs> but you know, you could try to commune with him if he's not. Um, I should probably know this. So uh, anyway, have uh, have you ever experienced a synchronicity, Annie? I I think I have. Well, I think earlier when we were talking about the weird shit, I could go ahead and just like yeah. land on that. I think that, that is, and I think it'll continue starting to gonna, show up as a synchronicity. You're gonna keep singing praying mantises. Don't put that demon magic on me. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be part of that. Um, but when I was thinking about this topic, another thing, another instance did come to mind, which in all of this, I keep second guessing, like, is that a synchronicity? Is mm -hmm. it not? Because there are so many different theories of what information or, or uh, you know, who, who is, who is presenting this information to you? Is it a spirit guide? Is it a, a loved one? Is it the universe? Like what, what category does all of this fall into? I'm kind of like, I think it's all the same thing. Right. So like when you're looking at the very basic definition, it is a coincidence that seems meaningful, even though it's not really related. Right. It's outside of cause and effect. Right. But the one instance that comes to mind right away when I think about something happening that seemed meaningful to me, it wasn't even that long ago. And it seems really silly that it starts with an episode of America's Got Talent. <laughs> Awesome. Love it. Um, I am like, it's a total guilty pleasure of mine to watch competition shows. Like the voice is absolutely my favorite show on earth. It's like and, an innocent pleasure. really. Yeah, you're right. And I don't want to say guilty, like, because I own it. Like, I'm not going to be ashamed of liking watching people have talent <laughs> yeah. like express their talent it's like it's oh cool. you worked really hard at something like so oh lame. you follow your passion <laughs> go fuck yourself <laughs> so in this episode mm -hmm. i'm sitting here watching vegging out you know got my raisinette set up got got everything i need to live my best life and there is a person uh her name is heather and she has a dog named bogart um they're going to be doing an agility act bogart is a pit bull mix and he looks so much like my dog digby that passed away three years ago and just so you all know like digby is he was like my soulmate he was my best friend yeah. he was my baby he's he, really special. he's everything um so his death definitely hit me hard, but also 
since then there have been a number of these type of things that have popped up. So yeah. it's just, it's something interesting, but anyhow, I wasn't really even thinking too hard about how much he reminded me of Digby. I was just watching this and without even realizing it just had like tears streaming down my face and was just like getting super emotional, but it wasn't until the act was over that I kind of figure out like how I'm feeling. And also with this, so, you know, the thing is about Bogart is he, they adopted him from a kill shelter. Um, they took him home and he just had a ton of energy that they didn't know what to do with. So they ended up channeling it into him learning agility, which he became totally obsessed with and absolutely loved. Then they found a bump on his back leg that ended up being cancerous. Bogart. Which is exactly what happened with Digby. They found a bump on his back, actually, and and it was cancerous. So he had to have a couple surgeries, actually, to try to get that removed. Um, But Bogart actually had to lose his leg. So he's a tripod now. And when he was recovering from that surgery, he was having a very hard time with it. He was not coping well. And... Again, that just reminds me so much of Digby because after his surgery, he was just, you know, just miserable. Yeah. yeah. I the, the amount of nights that I set up a dog bed next to his dog bed and just slept on the floor with him because I couldn't bear to just let him sleep by himself. A people bed. Yeah. Dog bed. Because honestly, like, he slept in the bed under the covers every single yeah. night. Like, it's, it's not a bed if Digby wasn't in it. Yeah. So... Um, anyways, the connection between his owner and him, he was just very familiar. So anyhow, finished watching this, realized that I'm super duper emotional and that it does remind me of Digby. And, um, and so I'm sitting here trying to calm down, taking some breaths and I decided to pick up my phone and just do some mindless scrolling to, you know, calm down. Um, so I pick up my phone. First thing my Finger goes to as normal is Facebook. Oh boy. It's either going to be Facebook or Instagram. I know I'm caught up in that shit. And I open Facebook and immediately the first thing on my feed is one of those memories, you know, the, um, on this day. Those are dangerous. So this one, first thing is on this day, 11 years ago. And it was the first picture of Digby that I ever posted. Wow. And it was him as a puppy. Um, when I was like, I'm so excited to bring this baby home and, you know, we're going to name him Digby, blah, blah, blah. And for me, like I, my jaw dropped, I like lost my breath. I was like, what? Like here I am. And it had been a while. I think about him every day, but it had been a very long time since I became, you know, really missing him and sad to the point because I've had a lot of healing since then. And usually the memories are good these weren't good but it was definitely like a longing sadness it was grief yeah so I was feeling this immense grief being reminded of him and I open you know this app and immediately I'm confronted with the picture of him and my brain is like okay like I just said out loud I was like thank you Digby (laughs) thank you for letting me know that you're always with me Mm -hmm. and again I don't know that this really qualifies as a synchronicity but it does seem like a coincidence and it is meaningful to me so I'm gonna go ahead and throw it in this category I agree yeah for sure all right so what about you Sarah do you have any synchronicities I do and you actually appear in one of my synchronicities (laughs) You make a guest appearance. Oh my sure. god, I love it when things are about me. I know. 
So my synchronicity has kind of helped to like crank up this whole adventure that we're on right now. You know, we're, we're deep diving into the abyss and all that. So I think unsurprisingly, my synchronicities are linked to my dad who a few years ago passed on from this layer of reality. So I think in order to really appreciate the synchronicities, you have to know some background about my dad. He spent his whole career in the field of drug and alcohol recovery, counseling, advocacy, sponsoring, legislation, just any and all help for these people with addiction. He's done it all. Mm -hmm. And he's helped a lot of people. That's amazing. Yeah. During most of my childhood, he just abstained from everything. Alcohol, drugs, caffeine, sugar, all of those vices. And mm -hmm. this isn't a PSA to be healthier. He was super healthy and, well, he still died. Yeah. But I'm so sorry for your loss and I know that's I been know. incredibly difficult. But there's one important thing that you left out of your description of him. Oh. The most beautiful mustache. Was it beautiful? I've ever seen in my life. It was kind of like this untamed beast of a mustache. Is that not beautiful? Yeah, it is in its own way. Like when he would go get his haircut, they'd be like, do you want me to trim the mustache? And be like, no. Because he got it trimmed a few times and he would be like so upset. Yeah. But yeah, his mustache was like quintessential to him. Like he would think and he would just like stroke his mustache. <laughs> it's very iconic. Yes, sure. very iconic. So anyways, for me as an adult, I've definitely had my share of partying too hard. Um, but sometime around turning 30... I start to contemplate more and more about a sober lifestyle, but just contemplate. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a thing <laughs> that exists. <laughs> yeah. So sometime around my last birthday this year, I have just one terrible night out and that's like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm done drinking. So, I've had a lot of those nights. <laughs> well, this one, I'm like, this is just too much. A few months into me not drinking, my mom offhandedly shares that she was visiting her psychic, you know, as moms do. And <laughs> so she just has a psychic, like, on, yeah. on call? Uh, I wouldn't say on call. There's <laughs> not on speed dial. She has a, she has a house psychic that just <laughs> lives <laughs> in the basement and she calls her up. <laughs> um, she rings the bell for her to yeah, come up. Not quite that, but yes, basically. But so she's talking to her psychic and she asks her about my dad for me. And apparently my dad had a message and apparently he's trying to send me messages but i'm not always listening huh <laughs> i mean it's very on brand <laughs> for me so i was like okay whatever psychic but also like oh <laughs> i do feel like that comes up a lot though where it's you know they've been trying to get through to you but you're not listening like, i don't think that it's necessarily fake that i hear that a lot i just think that like we dismiss shit oh, all for the time sure. yeah. no we do we do and that's like people out there listening to this episode and you're like i've never experienced a synchronicity start paying more attention right you know because um and one of these that i talk about if annie hadn't been there i don't know that i would have caught it mm -hmm. so all right, a little oh, while I'm later. I'm excited to hear which one this is. Yeah. All right, yeah. A little while later, I'm hanging out with my cousins and I'm sharing my experience of not drinking and all those positives that I've been having that I'm considering it being a thing that I'm going to stick with. And my cousin. What were some of the, sorry to interrupt, what were yeah. some of the positive things that you were noticing just, when you stopped drinking? Just everything. Yeah. Just everything. My focus like really shifted mm -hmm. and it it was like. For me, this whole sobriety thing has been like, 
it was like the coping with reality it's like a is self-medication mm-hmm. right that we're here and it's hard and we don't want to we want to deal with it in a softer way so like alcohol softens the edges when whereas when you're sober you have a lot more time and brain power mm-hmm. and it's it's well I think a direct result of it has been me being more creatively productive mm-hmm. like I don't think if I was still drinking, I'm not sure that we would be doing this podcast. Right. And I don't know the direct correlation to that, but it's just, it's changed so much for me. It does seem like your creativity has skyrocketed. Right now you're like starting a band, you're Mm -hmm. getting way back into your illustration. Mm -hmm. You're, I don't know. Yeah. It's been really great. So I'm sharing all this with my cousin and she's like, I'm so proud of you. It's so amazing that you've come to this conclusion and made these hard decisions for yourself. And I'm so glad you're doing well. And right after she says that, um, I hear this, we all hear this sound and it seems like it comes from nowhere, but it's just like the most angelic ambient sound I've ever heard. And my cousin and I kind of just like gape at each other because we're like, what the fuck was that? This is the sound. Okay. That's like, okay. So if that's not a heavenly angel sound, I don't know what it is. Wait, what? So what, what, what did you just play me though? Like, right. where did you get that? So we hear that, we look at each other and Ellen and I, our eyes like bulge out of our skulls. Cause she knows my dad. She grew up with him. She knows his background and she's like, uncle Hugh. And I'm like, dad, <laughs> will and, you play for me one more time? Yeah, I feel like I need to hear that again. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow, that is angelic. It's crazy, right? Wow. So I feel so weird. And I'm almost like, you know, there's this urge for me to be like, no, like whatever. But the obvious thing, it, it seemed like the easier, more obvious thing was to accept it as a sign. Yeah. And Occam's razor. Huh? Occam's razor. What's that? It's the most simple explanation is typically the correct one right so you could go through all of these hoops to make it make sense in Mm -hmm. some other way but usually it is the most obvious thing which sometimes the most obvious thing is the most maybe controversial Mm -hmm. or theoretical type of idea but this was that i mean so i eventually figure out what it was so we had been outside, and thus all the ambient frog noise and crickets, <laughs> um, but we had been listening to music, and at some point, the music stopped, and the Bluetooth speaker turned itself off. Didn't disconnect. It turned itself off, which I thought was really weird. Mm-hmm. It was so, charged? Yeah, it was charged. And because I go up to it, and I like figure out what it was, and I like turn it on, and it's a different noise. When you turn it on, it's like boo boo doo boo doo boo, and when you turn it off, it's bee da ba da ba da. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was just so random that like it disconnected, turned itself off right at the moment that my cousin's telling me how proud of me that mm-hmm. she is and acknowledging your sobriety, and acknowledging my sobriety, which is the thing that your dad was yes. all about. And I've never had the opportunity to talk with him about any of this, right? So, um, 
yeah, I'm like, dad? Wow. I, to the thin air. And right. it was really chilling. It was crazy. That's and like when with Diggles, I was like immediately just like, thank you, Digby. Like, it's like you have this it knowingness was, that you're like, oh, this came from somebody. It was, it was kind of like, you know, cautiously optimistic. Like, I would love, at the time, I was like, I would love for that to be him. But no, surely not. But now I'm like, it was. Like, I, I, I really believe that. I definitely think it was him cheering me on, piggybacking on my cousin's praises. So my second synchronicity is similar, and this one is the one that Annie was there for. Hi. So I think I remember this. Yeah, you're going to have to fill me in, though. Yeah. More months pass after this event, and although I've decided I'm done drinking, I'm still clinging to my other vices, and I'm telling myself, like, I need them. One night in, I'm smoking some weed, watching a documentary on Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. Is that ironic? Keith Richards, notorious drug and alcohol doer. Is that what irony is? I don't know. Uh, Like an Atlantis version of irony. Yeah. It's like a loose, yeah, sure, that's ironic. Mm. (laughs) Um, So my, my heart starts to accelerate. And that happens sometimes when I smoke weed. So I kind of just like try to put it out of my mind, try to focus on my breathing but um, that doesn't help. And I, I'm trying to like have snacks and pay attention to my documentary, but it's not going away. And I, I suddenly I like can't breathe. I do have an anxiety disorder. I know these things, but my heart is pounding. I can't breathe. My chest is hurting. And I'm telling myself it's just the weed, but I get to the point where I'm so scared I don't want to die listening to Keith Richards, you know? <laughs> so I call it. If it's ending, I am putting on Dolly Parton. This <laughs> right. is not going to end this This is way. not how this ends. So I, I call the EMS and then I chicken out and I tell them not to come. <laughs> and then I panic more and I call them back. Oh, this is this night. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. God. So they come and they give me the eye rollingest eye rolls I have ever seen. The amount of calls they probably get from stone people. I know. The world is I, I really was so scared though. Like send out the stoner crew. Yeah, right. I'm not, it turns out, having a heart attack. I'm not dying. They, they're literally like, why don't you put on something funny on the TV and like have some snacks? Yeah. <laughs> That's like what they recommend. Here's some snacks on the ambulance. They, this will be $500 right, for these right. sour gummy worms. So, so it turns out I'm fine, but they do suggest that I call someone over while I calm down. So I call you. That's when you I call, call Annie. Yeah. Annie lives down the street from me. It's very convenient for the yes. purposes of this podcast. And for the purposes of anxiety attacks. Yes, truly. As we both So, so thank you. With. Thank you for coming. <laughs> I really appreciate it. We're sitting in front of the TV and I'm recounting what happened. And I cap my story by saying, I guess it's a sober life for me. And right at that moment, a lamp comes on by itself. That's right. Oh my gosh, I remember that. So the light came on and I was like, wait, is that like on a timer or, and you, and you said it is, but the time, because of the amount of times that the electricity has gone on and off, it's at a totally random set of Exactly. So I know that this lamp was on a timer, but I also know that the summer storms knocked the power out several times so that the timer was way off schedule. So it's random that the light bulb turned on right after I said that. But it did. Mm-hmm. And I've, again, taken it as my dad or the universe or both guiding me along, telling me, yes, keep doing that. Good job. Yeah, keep being sober. Yeah. Nice. 
yeah, it's pretty crazy. So those are my synchronicities. And I mean, I do feel like I'm on a different path now, Yeah, honestly. And it's, it's one I'm excited to keep going down. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that these are, it, it's a good combination of, you know, you have Jung talking about really the kind of the scientific ideas around this, but then we're bringing it back to kind of the more subjective yet like emotional aspects of it, which I think is all important and valid. And like I said, I, I think these things could fall into multiple categories at the end of the day. It's about information coming from somewhere outside of ourselves, something coordinating events that isn't just happenstance and isn't necessarily within our control. Right. It's really cool. I loved learning about this stuff and, you know, sharing. Um, I like this episode. It was really cool to research. Yeah, I definitely think that everybody out there should just think really hard about the things that you that have been coincidences that you've just dismissed. Mm-hmm. See if you can find a correlation between, you know, those times. Like Sarah's story, the first time that the angelic sounds happened with your father or you know while you're talking to your cousin uh, about being sober and you and you think that it maybe could have come from your father well that was one thing but the fact that this happened a second time right and it was like an electricity thing right 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 that was weird man so it's like well maybe these synchronicities not only the fact that one or two are occurring but like what is the common thread between those mm-hmm. now for me, if there's a common thread between praying mantises and Digby, like, I'm not cool with that. Find, find another way to talk to me because this is gross. I think it's different. I had a nightmare last night. I walked in. You know when you, like, are walking down a pathway and you realize, like, oh, shit, there's a spider web right in front of me. So I stopped. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this just brought me to, like, my favorite Digby memory story. What the fuck? Okay. So in my dream, all of these like ginormous spiders were there and I was like ducking and dodging, trying to like get around them. And they were just like everywhere. But immediately I was just remembering like my favorite Digby story or one of them was a time that I was walking him. We were walking down the path. It was nighttime and there was a big spider web going between like the fence and the tree on the uh, over the sidewalk. And so I walk into it and I freak out. I like start, you know, slapping myself and whatever. And in the midst of that, I accidentally dropped Diggity's leash. So he is freaked out by me freaking out and he runs up the block, which is not good. Obviously he, he did not have good recall skills. So I'm still here struggling with this whole idea that I could have walked through a spider web and there could be a ginormous spider on me, which I am not good with spiders. And I get my composure I don't run towards Digby. I walk towards him to try to not scare him away. And he was sniffing in a bush and his uh, leash had kind of gone through the bush. So I reached my hand into the bush to pick it up. And I reached my hand directly through a giant fucking spider web with a huge spider right next to my hand. (laughs) And so I just, and I'm telling you, this is like the middle, this is probably like 12, you know, AM or whatever. And 
I scream bloody murder and I grab his leash and we just like sprint inside. And I remember also specifically that I was trying to get away with not taking a shower this day. I was like very stinky, but I was like, I'm so tired. I'll just take a shower in the morning. And so like I grab his leash, I sprint in and immediately like jump in the shower because I'm just like, oh, there's spiders and there's webs and whatever. And (laughs) poor Digby, he was just like totally bewildered. Like what? just happened <laughs> although that was probably part for the course with him because i i had a lot of freak outs yeah and girl then be screaming down. girl yeah, be screaming I, I do be screaming i mean he was definitely an emotional support dog yeah. for sure although often when there was a bug involved like he would jump on the couch with me like yeah. in, in hide I mean, and we'd like, have to oh, call in a third party he's like oh this is a serious threat <laughs> yeah. that's wild yeah that's oh my funny. god here we go so i just learned yesterday when i was looking up this stuff that's called anamnesia when you just suddenly remember like in our first episode when i talk about um that guy suddenly remembering that movie Mm -hmm. um like it re-downloaded into his brain that's Mm -hmm. an amnesia Mm, okay well i mean this is not something i didn't remember it's a story that i've told before it's just interesting that the the imagery in my head of what my dream was last night matches very much with the imagery of that walk and here we are talking about synchronicities and here we are talking about digby Ooh. and that connection just came up That's y'all this shit's wild yeah all right y'all if any of you have experienced a synchronicity or something that you feel like could fall into that category let us know send us an email at way too weird pod at gmail.com with the number two <laughs> way too weird pod at gmail.com and please make sure to like and follow way too weird on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us on share with your friends let it let everybody know about it we want to make sure we can get this out to as many people as possible and uh you, you know if you guys want to come on the pod at some point let yeah, us know we're gonna expand to some interviews at some point for sure yeah this will keep growing for sure i'm excited about that love it now as you're listening to this and going about your day just remember, like, what you think and what you say matters. So try to try to focus on the positive and just remember what's the best that could happen. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay curious and keep, keep it, it weird. weird. Way too-